about this plan of yours. I think it's good, except it sucks. So let me do the plan, and that way, it might be really good. Wow. And a little straighter, walk a little prouder, be an innovator, laugh a little louder, go for trader. we can show you how to, and when will you be then? Hello and welcome to It's Good Except It Sucks, a movie by movie and television series by television series hurtled through the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I'm Tim Worthington and this is a special extra edition of It's Good Except It Sucks, looking at an aspect of the Marvel Cinematic Universe that a lot of people probably aren't even aware of the existence of, the various tie-in comics that have been released. Though if you prefer, you can read Ken Loach of the Rovers, Martin Scorsese and Chips or 2000 AD brackets Jennifer Aniston instead. A couple of listeners had asked me if I was going to cover the comics in some way, and initially I wasn't going to, because on the whole, they're really just an essential backup stories that fit in and around the movies and a couple of the TV shows, and some of them are essentially just adaptations of the films, and they aren't even as integral a part of the proper Marvel Cinematic Universe as the one-shots or Agent of the S.H.I.E.L.D. slingshot, but really, it's worth taking a look at them because they're so little known. It's probably worth pointing out here that this is actually something that's relatively new for Marvel. In the past, they traditionally not really acknowledged film and TV adaptations in the regular comics, as they never really had proper creative control, and the producers of the TV series in particular made some often very odd changes with characters and plot details, and bending what was going on in the comics to fit around them would have got in the way of the series business of telling stories and, well, selling comics, really. There were a couple of occasions where they did take some of the more successful new elements from the big and small screen versions and incorporate them into the comics. In particular, when the Fantastic Four cartoon was in production in the late 70s, someone else had the right to the Human Torch, a TV series that eventually never actually happened. So they replaced him with Herbie the Robot, who later did become a proper part of the Fantastic Four. And while although it's never really been properly clarified whether she was created because of the same rights situation over the Human Torch, or whether they just decided they need a female character so they made her a bit like the Human Torch but a bit different, but Firestar was created for Spider-Man and his amazing friends and went on to become a very significant figure in the main comic universe, but on the whole, the two have tended to exist in very different universes, so we never really got to see the country and western incarnation of Rick Jones or Spider-Man fighting the deadly dust in print. It's also worth pointing out that this isn't really something Marvel had done very much of in the past, probably because of that lack of creative control. They'd always just tended to let the TV series and the movies do their own thing and just ploughed ahead with the regular comics, and a lot of other franchises had got there long before them. I mean, Star Wars and Star Trek have both had their own relatively in-universe comics for a very long time. In fact, the first Star Wars comic was actually published by Marvel, and television shows like the Joss Whedon series, Heroes, and even things like Castle. And in fact, Marvel didn't even start 
start these comics until there were already three films in. But since then, they've tended to do a series of three or four issue comic runs to go with each movie, which do tie in directly while still maintaining as much continuity with the regular comics as possible. You can get all of them covering the whole of the Infinity Saga or Phase 1, Phase 2 and Phase 3 if you want to be a bit more straightforward about it in a massive collective volume which costs stupid money. I think it sells for over £100 but I'm going to recommend instead that if you're interested then just have a look for the individual collective volumes for each film because everyone's got their own favourite film, everyone's got their own favourite characters and they also come with some really interesting backup strips in the Marvel Archive that are relevant in some way to the film. So you might get, for example, a chapter of Iron Man Extremis, which Iron Man 3 was based on, or an early appearance by Rocket or Black Widow or someone like that. Anyway, they started off with Iron Man 2, which actually inspired two separate short-run comics. There's Public Identity, which picks up on what happened after Tony Stark reveals his identity to the world in the first film, and flags up a couple of plot strands that come up in the sequel, including Justin Hammer's quest to build his own Iron Man tech and the origins of Tony Stark's feud with Thunderbolt Ross. And there was also an Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series, which is focused on Nick Fury, Phil Coulson and Natasha Romanoff, and concludes with Natasha being assigned to infiltrate Stark Industries, like in the film. There's also a lot in this series about the Ten Rings, who are a terrorist organisation have been hinted at in a couple of the films and they're about to come into the Marvel Cinematic Universe in a big way. Captain America the First Avenger got Captain America First Vengeance, which is really just an unseen escapade with Cap, Bucky and the Howling Commandos, where they're attacking a Hydra base to retrieve an Asgardian artifact. And it's a background storyline about Steve Rogers and Johann Schmidt sort of reflecting to themselves on how events in their lives had led them to there. The Thor one was really just an adaptation of the actual film, and there'll be a few more of those as we go along. Avengers Assemble, on the other hand, came accompanied by Fury's Big Week, which is one of the best of the comics, and the fact that it's the only only one that actually has its own Wikipedia page probably underlines that a bit. It's a story that focuses on Nick Fury, Phil Coulson, Natasha Romanoff and Clint Barton and how they react to being pulled off their regular duties and monitoring the Hulk and Thor and so on to concentrate on Operation Pegasus which is as featured in a couple of the films it's more or less working out how to harness the power of the Tesseract to make bigger and better armaments but it does also go into their involvement in the events of the previous films in more detail and there's also as well as that Black Widow Strikes which is where Natasha intervenes in an attempt by the Ten Rings to sell some leftover hammer tech to North Korea, which is kind of satire ahead of the event, that one. Then the Ten Rings show up again in Iron Man 3, which actually focuses more on War Machine and Iron Man because it follows Rhodey as he continues Natasha's mission to track the Ten Rings movements, although it turns out to all be a route so that they can study his suit technology without him realising. And then at the end he turns up to help the Avengers fighting Loki, but he arrives too late and he finds him in the shawarma restaurant, but at least he gets some shawarma. Thor The Dark World basically just follows Thor taking Loki back to Asgard and very slowly doing some DIY to repair the Bifrost and also Jane is there. If you know what I think of the film that's pretty much what I think about this comic as well. Captain America the Winter Soldier is a lot more fun as you get Steve, Natasha and Brock Rumlow who they haven't realised as a bad guy yet hunting for the Zodiac formula which is a nice time with the Agent Carter TV series as well. Guardians of the Galaxy deservedly got three different stories. The first one has Gamora being hired by the Collector to retrieve the Power Stone for safekeeping. The second has Nebula being hired by Ronan the Accuser to retrieve the Power Stone for whatever the opposite of safekeeping is. And finally, there's Rocket and Groot who think they're on a highly dangerous smuggling mission, but they eventually realise they're just smuggling some comical looking snails, and Rocket feels a bit guilty about that and lets them go. Now that one seems to get a bit of a battering in various places, but I actually think it's a nice light tale. It's very much in line with the film, and also, like the other two stories, it makes it clear that they're definitely outlaws, but they're not actually bad guys by anyone's standards. Age of Ultron 
this Scepter Dial is about a disgruntled shield scientist who's studying Loki's Scepter and ends up being recruited by Hydra, leading to it being used on Wanda and Pietro Maximoff to give them powers just ahead of the end of the film, which actually, in one part, slightly contradicts the comic, but that's the least of that film's worries, really. Ant-Man Small Time is a much more significant comic than many of the others, because on the one hand, it goes really deeply into Hank Pym's history as the original Ant-Man, as it was rewritten for the film, and the events that led him to withdraw and hide the technology, and we also get Scott Lang's Robin Hood-style corporate heist that landed him in jail at the start of the film. Also very interesting, it's the only one in the Netflix series to get its own comic, Jessica Jones, which has her hired to track Turk Barrett, who's a fairly comical underworld enforcer who recurs across the Netflix series over some unpaid child support and Daredevil puts in an appearance too. Captain America Civil War combines adaptations of Iron Man 3 and Captain America the Winter Soldier with some character development that was only hinted at on screen including how and why Brock Rumlow became an arms dealer and the fact that Bucky was actually assassinating the remaining members of Hydra before they rediscovered his programming and turned him back into the Winter Soldier again. Doctor Strange depicts some of the earlier adventures of some of the other sorcerers in the film. If you've ever read the Doctor Strange comic you'll have a pretty good idea what to expect and Spider-Man Homecoming is it's kind of an adaptation of Captain America Civil War, but it's seen through Peter Parker's eyes, which makes it, you know, a bit different, a bit more entertaining in a different way. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2 is also basically an adaptation of the first film, but I'm really going to heavily recommend the collective volume for this one, as one of the backup strips features the original Guardians of the Galaxy from the 60s. I mean, obviously Yondu's in both films, but it's also got Stakarogard, Alita, Martin X and Charlie 27, all of whom show up in the second film, and I really hope we get to see more of them personally. Thor Ragnarok the Rock is a combined adaptation of the Incredible Hulk and Thor The Dark World, what a double bill that is, and Black Panther refits the original comic origin story of how T'Challa became the Black Panther to match sort of the style and the continuity of the film, which is a nice touch really. Avengers Infinity War picks up on what's happened to each of the Avengers between Captain America Civil War and then, which again is only really hinted at in the film, and it also has Wong explaining the history of the Infinity Stones of Doctor Strange, which is more or less repeated word for word in the film. Ant-Man and the Wasp is essentially just an adaptation of Ant-Man and Captain Marvel catches up with Nick Fury and Maria Hill between Avengers Age of Ultron and Avengers Infinity War and given that they barely showed up in that and Endgame it's a nice extra to have especially as you get to find out their take on things like Civil War and it also turns out that it was Maria Hill who told Tony Stark that Vision had turned the transponder off which I'll be honest was a casual detail that always annoyed me a bit in the film itself on face value because well, Vision would have been able to stop Tony from tracking him and well, anyway, Avengers Endgame, again, basically an adaptation of Infinity War, but again, I'm going to recommend the collective volume because you get two really significant backup strips. First up was a chapter from the Infinity Gauntlet, which is an early 90s crossover series that kind of inspired the whole of the Marvel Cinematic Universe so far. Although there's some major differences and some very different plot details, and also there's a lot of characters that we haven't really seen in the films yet, like Adam Warlock and the Silver Surfer, who's the one that actually crashes into the Sanctum Santorum and says, Thanos is coming like the Hulk does in the film and also Cloak and Dagger who've had their own TV series but haven't shown up in the films as yet and on the bit of a lighter note we get one of the Guardians of the Galaxy's many punch-ups with Thanos as well. Bringing us up to date Spider-Man Far From Home is an adaptation of Spider-Man Homecoming and even though the Black Widow film had been pulled from release at the time of recording the comic still came out on schedule and without wanting to give too much away before the film gets released it's set between Captain America Civil War and Avengers Infinity War and it does follow Natasha during that time frame 
game, but there's nothing in it that confirms my theory about what we're going to find out in it. I should also mention a couple of regular non-tying comics here. I mean, there have been a couple of regular comic storylines that have been directly influenced by the films, including in particular there's a great strip with Iron Man and War Machine fighting the Melter, but they're not really part of the proper MCU continuity, but I did just want to mention that there have been a couple of runs of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. that have brought Agent May, Agent Fitz and Agent Simmons into the proper comics continuity. Well, I'll be honest and say that the story's a bit more on the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. series two side of things. It's still significant that they like them and the viewers like them enough for this to happen. There's also recently been the Nebula series launch, which I think is actually Nebula's first headlining title, which does pick up directly from how Nebula is in the films and her kind of character development in the films. And in fact, I'm just off to read the latest Nebula now, but before I do, as this is a special extra edition, I just want to come out of character for a second and say that I hope you're all looking after yourselves, finding plenty to do with the current circumstances. I mean, I mentioned Black Widow being pulled from release earlier. While that's pretty much the least of our concerns right now, it's been nice to know that people are still enjoying listening to these while we're not able to go and see the latest movie. I'm trying to do all of these in release order, and there has been a slight delay. I've had to push back a couple of the next couple of editions for understandable reasons, but there might well be a couple more specials coming up in the meantime. There's also plenty of other good ones coming up, and you can hear previews of a couple of them at the end of this. So, well, I'm not going to ask myself a question, so to me, thank you and Excelsior. I don't think I agree with you there. You see, I'm always a bit disappointed when you get a superhero adaptation, which is embarrassed by the costume. Daredevil's definitely on these shows because they are much happier when he's wearing the black suit and the black mask. But actually, I have no idea how we can see through that thing. You know, Charlie Cox, I know that Daredevil can't see through that thing because, you know, how the criminals of Hell's Kitchen not worked out that he's blind because nobody's looking through that thing. It's great that they, they take these little narrative shortcuts and then it's like straight into the first fight against Ultron. It's really good, really tight up until then. So why is the film so bloody long? By the end of it, I, I just felt like I'd I'd aged terribly. I needed to shave after the film. Yeah, there's always something a bit sexy and a bit mysterious about safe crackers. Like, it's a non-violent crime, so they're kind of, you know, it's a bit James Bondy. So that definitely, you know, so straight away, because obviously you have to look at him and go good guy him being white south african feels like so right like you couldn't just have him as like some random american guy or, or whatever he has to have that link to africa to expose what he thinks is the hypocrisy of wakanda so you've even got someone like him who they never really portray him as necessarily racist it's more that he thinks well actually you've got all this equipment again why aren't you doing more with it can't help thinking about me like tim worthington a big book full of old articles giving a new twist, looking at how and why I ended up on the BBC News channel with a big caption saying, Clangers Expert. More details, timworthington.org.